0: Thank you so much. Oh, give me Jesus. That is a prayer of all of our hearts, I believe. You know, last week we looked at the wisdom, at wisdom through Solomon's eyes, and saw what he did with it. And uh, I heard a reference this week about dark times that we're currently navigating as a world in this pandemic. Well, today we're going to look in the book of Ruth, That's immediately following the book of Judges. And in this dark time of our world, this pandemic, through the story of Ruth, we're going to look at uh, at a few things, like redemption, uh, loyalty, and kindness, and especially God's sovereignty. Now the 400 years that are covered by the book of Judges, the period of the Judges, was a dark time in Israel's history as well about 1500 B.C. through 1100 B.C. It was a period after the Israelites had entered their promised land under Joshua's leadership and before there were any kings in Israel. And the last verse of the book of Judges, just before the book of Ruth, reads this way. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 21-25. See, the people of Israel would sin, and God would send enemies or bad rulers uh, to kind of judge them. Then the people would cry out for help, and God would show mercy and send a judge to deliver them. And then they would rebel again. And then the whole process would start again. To all outwardly or all worldly outward appearances, God's plan for righteousness and glory in Israel seem to be failing. But the next book, the book of Ruth, where we are today, gives us a glimpse of God's hidden work during the worst of times. So if you look at the last verse of the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 22, you find a child is born to Ruth and to her husband Boaz. His name is Obed. When he's grown, he has a son named Jesse, who later has a son. Actually, he has a whole bunch of sons, and his youngest one is named David. That would be King David, who would lead Israel to great heights of glory. One of the key messages of this book of Ruth is what we're going to look at today. God is sovereign. God is at work, even through the darkest of times, even through the sins of his people, He continues to plan for their glory and His. I would hope that we can find that message a little reassuring today in in spite of our dark times. Even when you might think that He's abandoned you or even when you might think He's working against you, God is laying the foundation for your greater fulfillment and for your blessing. But as we see today, He's also kind of pushing us to make decisions In our lives, and we're going to see today what a huge difference even just one of those little, seemingly innocuous decisions can make for our future. Don't don't you just hate decisions? Uh, Cheese or no cheese? Regular, decaf. Dare I say it? Democrat, Republican. Maybe I should just call them choices. But our lives are made up of decisions, of, of choices that we make. Now, thinking back, we can probably all come up with a list of choices that we're pretty proud of. And there's probably more than one that we're not so proud of. In our profile of, in faith today, though, we're going to be looking at a couple of young women who had to make decisions that would ultimately determine their destiny. And we're going to start, first of all, with a not-so-young woman, Naomi, she had made a decision to leave her home in Israel with her husband, Elimelech. In the first five verses of the book of Ruth, we find that there was a famine in Israel. And rather than wait for God's deliverance from that famine, Elimelech and Naomi decided to move to a neighboring country, Moab. It's a pagan land, and uh, these people were enemies of the people of Israel. Their two sons, while they were there, married Moabite women. Orpa, and that's Orpah, not Oprah, and Ruth, Naomi's husband. Now, her husband, I'm sorry, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies, as do her two sons, leaving both Orpah and Ruth and Naomi all as widows. No protector, no family, no provider. No children. Naomi decides then that she should probably be better served if she went back to her homeland, Israel. And her two daughters-in-law must decide whether they're going to go with her or if they're going to stay. Imagine yourselves, if you will, just for a moment in Naomi's predicament. You're an unattached widow in ancient Middle East, in a foreign culture, no husband, No provider, no protector, no family, except these also widowed young ladies. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. She said no more. This sets the stage then for our discussion about decisions and their impact on our lives. Naomi has heard that the famine in Israel is now over. And she decides that she should return to her homeland, to the city of her birth, Bethlehem. Orpah and Ruth set out to go with her, but she tells them, go back. I can't offer you anything there. You're still able to find husbands. And as Moabite women, you're not likely to do so in Bethlehem. Go home. And so on and on in verses 6-13, through they continue to argue and discuss the matter. The girls are faced with a decision to leave or to cleave. A decision that, again, will determine their destinies. We're going to start by looking at Orpah's decision. She decides to leave. In verses 14 and 15, Orpah decided to leave and return to go back to her life in Moab. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. First, let me say, in in Orpah's defense, in the eyes of the secular world, and and actually even in the eyes of her mother-in-law, she made the wise choice. She would... She'd have a good life by going back with her, her own people, her own family. There was no earthly wisdom in following her Jewish mother-in-law back to Bethlehem to a culture that was completely foreign and even hostile to her. Now the thing is, whenever we make decisions isolated from God's counsel, we tend to lose out. And sadly, we may not even be aware of what it is we've lost. And that's the case with Orpah. She doesn't have a clue. But at this important juncture, Orpah has a number of things that she has to consider. The first of which is the impact of her family on her decision. In verse 15, Orpah has gone back to her people. Now, anyone who, who has ever made the decision to make a major relocation has had to consider the impact uh, that it would have on relatives for good or for bad. I, I know this from personal experience. decided to move to California 36 years ago, and my in-laws and my family both had a lot of input on that decision, (laughs) Uh, and we had to think seriously about it. Uh, A lot of people are making that kind of decision even now. You hear on the news that people are leaving California. That's an important decision. That's a difficult decision. Uh, Even talked about it before with my wife, but... Our children are here in California. Our grandchildren are all here in California. So our family has an impact on that kind of decision. Jesus weighed in on that issue himself, reminding his followers that they would have to have clear perspective on this issue. In Luke 9, verses 57 to 62, Jesus makes it clear that loyalties could not be divided. Commitment needed to be complete. In other words, if you're going to go, be committed to where and to whom you are going. When it comes to good decision-making, sometimes we have to decide first whether we'll do what our families want or what God wants. It's, it's a difficult thing when those things come in conflict. But clearly in this case, Orpah had no relationship with the God of Naomi's Jewish brethren. and She decided to go with her own family, the Moabite people. Secondly, her decision was impacted uh, by her own religion. Again, verse 15 says that she had gone back to her people and to her gods. Now, this the story of Ruth and Orpah is a picture of spiritual life, being confronted with a choice between gods, little G, and God, big G. In this case, Orpah chooses a I guess what we consider a spiritually backward path, a return to darkness, uh, to paganism, to superstition. And she returned to her idols, also into complete obscurity. She's never heard from in Scripture again. At this pivotal crossroad in Orpah's life, she could have chosen to go forward, but she chose to go back. She cried with the other women, and she kissed her mother-in-law affectionately and went back to dark pagan gods of Moab. Not to be no doubt. I'm sure she loved Naomi. But this important decision she made took her back to her own family. In contrast, we look at Ruth's decision. And Ruth decided to cleave. Verse 14 says again, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And the King James says, Ruth, clave unto her. Other translations say that she would not be parted from her, or she held on to her. She insisted on staying with Naomi. She held on tightly, and she hugged her tightly. The verb here in Hebrew is devach, to cleave. It means to stick to, to adhere to, to cling to, to join with, to stay close, in close proximity And it yields the noun form of glue. One of the most concentrated uses of devach in the Old Testament is here in this book of Ruth. It appears 53 times in the Old Testament. One of the most memorable is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, describing how a husband is to be connected to his wife. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave or hold fast unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Ruth's decision to cling to her mother-in-law was one of those special turning points of history. Ruth was unknown, she unappreciated, but in God's plan, we can look back and see that she held a strategic place in God's plan. As a widow and a Moabite at that, Ruth had little hope of attaining anything in terms of wealth or status back in Israel, in that society, or in that culture. But still her decision to cleave unto Naomi comes off something like a a poem, or even like a song that we've sung, even here in church. Beginning in verse 16, she says, Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you love, I'll love. I will follow. She's committed to Naomi. First, as a friend, her clinging or her cleaving to Naomi denotes that there is a deep personal relationship between the two. And again, it's the same word that was used for a man clinging to his wife as one. But she's also committed to Naomi as family. When she said, where you lodge, I will lodge, she's not just saying, I'll follow you. She's saying, I will live where you live. I'll share provisions with you. I'll lock my life into you and your Jewish family and your people. So Ruth tied her future to Naomi. She said, your people shall be my people. She's leaving Moab permanently. She's willing to overcome the old hatred between Moabite and Jewish peoples, Willing to become one of them. That was a pretty incredible decision at that time for a Moabite. Her faith was also on the table. She said, your God will be my God. She was leaving behind the idols of Moab, including Chemosh. That was a God that uh, was offered sacrifices of newborn children. Finally, Ruth was making her commitment a lifetime commitment. Verse 17, she promises, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Nothing will come between us, not even death. I want to be with you in life and in death, and I'll be buried where you are buried. Similarly, there comes a time in our relationship with God when it comes down to doing, not just feeling. Ruth and Orpah felt the same way about Naomi. But Ruth did differently than Orpah. Sometimes sometimes as Christians, we, we tend to be content with just having... Christian feelings, a feeling, a love for God, or a love for God's word, or a love for his people. But the decisive question for us is, will we be doers of the word, not just hearers of his word, as in James one i I'm sure that we're all thankful that God didn't just feel love for us. Instead, God so loved the world, That he gave. He gave his only son. I've preached and counseled many times in my years of ministry that love is a verb. It it requires action. It's not just a feeling. It's not a noun. Ruth demonstrated her love, her willingness to make a costly commitment. And she didn't know the future that God had in store for her. But she's willing to trust him for it. Her decision was to commit herself to Naomi from now until she was laid to rest in her final resting place. That's quite a pledge. And it's not without difficulties. What kind of problems might there be with Ruth's decision? There might be someone uh, listening to this message today who has not yet made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Why not? Maybe for them it's a hard decision. Making that decision may be difficult, but consider it carefully. It's a decision that must be made, and it will determine where you spend eternity. Ruth's past was problematic for her. She had been raised from the cradle in a heathen environment. Tutored in the worship of immoral gods with no background in the life in Naomi's religion. People may come here or or be in other like-minded churches and find themselves confronted with a need to make a decision, either for Christ or to reject his offer of salvation. And they haven't been in church much in their life either. Maybe they've got no religious background. Maybe sometimes the decisions can't come out of our past. They may even violate our past, but the decisions still need to be made. Not only was Ruth's past problematic for her, though, so was her future. The circumstances of Ruth's life at the time that she faced this decision would not indicate to her that it was the right thing for her to do or an easy thing for her to do or even a good thing to do. Her own mother-in-law even told her three times, go back, you don't want to come with me. It's no life for you. Stay here, get remarried. Again, I have no doubt that Naomi dearly loved her daughter's-in-law. But yet she told him to go back. A future with Naomi seemed against Ruth's best interest. It would be a difficult one for sure. And Naomi had great influence on the girls. But Ruth's decision would exile her from her homeland. It would alienate her from her, any of her friends that she might have. She might have had, for the rest of her days, she would be putting everything behind her. No turning back. So how did she decide correctly? Well, I think the key to understanding why Ruth made the decision that she made is found in Boaz's words to her in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. He said, The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Somewhere along the way, in her relationship with Naomi, Ruth had come to know the one true living God, Jehovah. She developed in her heart a great desire to be with God's people and to live with them in God's land. Why, or even how, could God do that? Take one young person out of a pagan, godless country like Moab and include her in his family. Well, let's not forget, God can do and likely will do whatever we think he can't or won't do. (laughs) Let me say that again. God can do and likely will do Whatever we think, he can't or won't do. No matter what our background is, uh, no religion, a background in a cult, being agnostic, uh, anti-church, anti-God, even we think we're atheistic. Whether we've been a good person or a completely evil one, regardless of where we are and where we've been, God can and will overcome all that, pull us into his family. It's referred to as his grace. Look at the four women that are cited in Matthew chapter 1, that are included in Jesus' genealogy. Tamar, who committed incest with her father-in-law. Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. Our Ruth was cited there, a Moabite outcast, refugee. And Uriah's wife, an adulteress. Sheba. How in the world did they ever become part of the genealogy of God's Son, the Savior, the Jewish Messiah? Again, it was His grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Keep in mind when we come to that crossroad of decision, yes or no, God's grace is sufficient to take us all the way. He's not going to take us partway and then dump us. His grace is sufficient. Nothing we've done, no place we've been, no circumstances in our life are insurmountable by God. All we have to do is say, yes, I will follow. I will trust the Lord. So what what kind of life lesson can we take from Ruth. Look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. She said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When the Israelites were on their way to the Promised Land, they went through Moab. And the Moabites, the Moabites were a pain in the flesh of the nation of Israel. And yet a woman from Moab became the great-grandmother of Israel's great King David. and She was an ancestor of Jesus of Nazareth. That woman was Ruth. So let's summarize. During the time of the judge's rule, Moab and Israel were at peace and Israel was struck by famine. A Jewish woman named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and two sons moved from Bethlehem to Moab to escape the famine. The sons grew up, married local girls, local Moabite women. Eventually, the husband and both the sons died, leaving Naomi with no immediate family except her two daughters-in-law. Naomi decides that she'd be best to go back home to Bethlehem, encouraged her two daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. One does, the other refuses to leave Naomi on her own and goes to Bethlehem with her. This this story of unswerving loyalty to Naomi is, is instructive. Ruth leaves her people, leaves her own country, joins a foreign culture out of love and loyalty to Naomi and strikes up a relationship with God. When they get to Bethlehem, Ruth works hard to support herself and her mother-in-law by gleaning uh, grain in the fields of a relative of Naomi's named Boaz, a wealthy, benevolent landowner. Her hard work and loyalty attracts Boaz's attention. He invokes Leverite law, to marry Ruth, widow of one of uh, his own relatives. They marry, have a son, Obed, and then you recall that history involving King David. What is Levirate right law? That's the injunction that if a married man died without children, it was the duty of a brother uh, or a near relative to marry the widow. And the son of that union would be reckoned to be the son of the first husband. Ancient Israeli law. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks of a special love that is sacrificial, it's selfless, and sustaining. That's the kind of love that's demonstrated here by Ruth. Rather than leave Naomi to fend for herself, Ruth gave up the comfort of home to enter an unknown and unpredictable future. She did it by faith and trust. And that was a sacrifice that God richly rewarded. Let me close with this God will also reward you for exhibiting that kind of love for Him and for others. And today, in this time that we're all experiencing, this global pandemic, a sacrificial, selfless, sustaining love is needed. There are plenty of places to apply it. God blesses faithful devotion to him and to others. Would you pray with me as the team comes? Lord, thank you for the story of Ruth, her love for her mother-in-law, her love for you, her willingness to commit to Naomi, for this instruction of how a devoted, selfless, sacrificial, sustaining love is subject to reward and blessing from you. May we find ways to apply that to people around us, even today, in these times. In Jesus' name, amen.